let's just start out in Luke chapter 15. I really tried to get away from this chapter, but I can't. Because there's such, such truth in this. In verse 1, it says that the publicans, the tax collectors, and the sinners came to hear the Lord. They were drawn by him. And when I think about the church over the 30 years that I've been involved in full, full-time ministry and beyond that, the, the, the sinners haven't been drawn to it so much because of verse 2. Because in verse 2 it says that the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners. And, when you, and then when you think about it, you think about the prodigal son later on in the chapter, his brother was out in the field, and his attitude was, I have served you all these years. In other words, he was serving God instead of receiving from God, and because he served God, he was upset when other people came in and got blessed. So somebody come in that's been saved two weeks, and they get blessed, and, and the religious guy gets mad because I have been trying. I have Listen to this. I have been trying so hard to be a Christian, and I've struggled for all these years. This guy comes in, and, he, he, and he's a sinner. I know he's, and he hadn't done anything, and look, God is blessing him. And that's the attitude. And so we really need to make sure that we don't have that attitude. And, and again, I like to point out that, you know, th- that he was given a robe of righteousness, his prodigal son, and, and the ring on his finger. You can read about it in, you know, over in Esther and what the ring meant. And, and, and really the ring is Ephesians 1, 3. I've already blessed you with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. And then the shoes on his feet. He said, Moses, take your shoes off. Under the law, you couldn't. But under grace, put the shoes on. You're, you're not a slave or a servant anymore. You're a son. And so, and then the other thing that you always need to remember is, as he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing. In his, in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. So he's not sitting on that stone throne somewhere waiting to send you to hell. He's waiting for you to come home. He's not even waiting for you to clean yourself up. He said, I don't care if you came to the pig pen. You know, it doesn't mean a thing to me. I'm receiving you right now. And so these are key things. Because then when you get over to Romans chapter 8, where we're going to try and get further in that today. It's a goal of mine anyway. But, you know, again, there's therefore. And when you find the therefore, you, you find out what it's there for. I, Romans 1, 17 says that the gospel, the good news, the good news is that the righteousness of God has been revealed to you. That's the good news of the gospel. You are right with God, as Carolyn taught so well on Thursday night. You're right with God even when you're wrong. You're right. Be, because he made you right. And, and so you have right standing. It means you have right standing with him all the time. It doesn't change. Matter of fact, he says, so you think about that, and then you think about uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, the end of the book of Romans, and he says, this is what he says, the God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So in the whole book of Romans, he mentions the devil once, and he's under your feet. 
Because of Ephesians 2, 6, that he made you to be seated in heavenly places in Christ. And so when you're seated, how many of you know you're not working? Huh? No, no, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, rest from work. We work from rest. We're in a place of rest. Hebrews 4.11 says we labor only to enter into his rest. Matthew chapter 11 says that he said, come unto me when you're weary and you're heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your soul. He said, and then he said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly. I'm humble. I'm humble. And, and I'll teach you how to be humble and how, how to walk with me. How the anointing that I put on you is burden removing, yoke destroying power that I'll give you when you take my yoke upon you. That you can live victoriously. So he, so he's he's got you. Yes. And then I, and then in Romans eight one, I, I I like looking at it again because he said, "There's therefore now," and that's the the letters noon and u n. What does now mean? Yeah. Right, now. right now. So last Sunday when I taught it, it was now. <laughs> Today I'm teaching it again, and when is it? Now. Yeah. So nothing changed from last Sunday to this Sunday. It's still now. Amen. Right? Yeah. And then when it says there, there's no condemnation, I think I gave you the, the, the word for no, but it means absolutely nothing. No. Not ever do you have anything against you. But now over in Psalm 66 and verse 18, we need to go over there for a minute. Because David had a revelation of this. Read Psalm 32 one time. Sometime for yourself. Blessed is the man that God doesn't hold any iniquity. Like, oh, powerful stuff. Where did I say go? Psalm 66. Psalm 68. 66. 66 and verse 18. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, not if God does, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Why? Because I can't pray in faith. If I'm feeling condemned, if I'm feeling guilty, I can't pray in faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So you can't come and say, oh, God, I'm so, I'm so unworthy. No, he, you know what? He doesn't hear that. That's good news. He doesn't listen to that. <laughs> he listens to your bold confession of faith. Come on. He said, my word will not return unto me void, but it'll prosper. It will accomplish what I set it into the world to do. Jeremiah 1.12, he said, I watch over my word to perform it. He said, it's like the rain coming down and it'll hit your seed and cause your seed to grow. Hallelujah. He's a good God. So if I regard iniquity in my heart, he won't hear me. So, so if I have a guilty conscience, and a guilty conscience is okay, as long as, as long as it, you know, it produces some pain that will lead me to 1 John 1, 9. And, and so even though he's not condemning me, I, I realize that I need to keep my, my fellowship current. Like I can't, hold, I can't hold guilt to me. You know, and I realize that some of these things are there for my protection. But you can't, you can't tranquilize a guilty conscience. There's not enough medicine out there to fix a guilty conscience. You know, 
so you need to stop trying. You know, and here, but here's the thing about hanging on to those things. It's like a cancer to your spirit, man. It's a cancer to your soul, if you will. You're not, you, you just go around and you're feeling that condemnation all the time. And he's saying, I already made you right with me. So go to 1 John 1, 9 if you need to. But mostly, mostly you just, you just walk past it. You just walk it out. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Keep walking. How about Job um, in verse 42? Just over a few pages. Because I like God's restoration plan. How many of you know Job had some ugly friends? Huh? Even his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? He, he, he didn't have a lot of family going, going for him. <laughs> but look at this. Look what God says in Job, in Job 42 and verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. When he prayed for those, pray for those that despitefully use you. Turn your enemies into friends. Pray for your enemies. Love on your enemies. Maybe you can win some as friends, right? But look at this. But look at the next part of the verse. The Lord gave Job how much? Twice as much. Twice as much as he had before. So when God says restore, he's not talking about restore you back to where you were. He's talking about better than. Better than. Okay, Matthew 18, maybe we'll stop over there on the way back to Romans. Matthew 18. Gee, you have to pass Matthew 17 on the way there, don't you? How about if we stop at Matthew 17 again? Would that be all right? Say he's going to get operated on on Thursday when the oxygen hits his brain. He might not repeat this so much, but it's okay. No, but repetition is the motor of learning. How many of you know that? Besides that, if you hear it and you're getting it, it excites you every time you hear it. If you go say, "Oh, I already heard that," you haven't got it yet. You haven't got it at all. So, so Matthew 17 to verse one says, "After six days." So this could be something that's happening. It happened at the end of four thousand years, but could be a revelation of what happens at the end of 6,000 years as well, because 1,000 years is a day unto the Lord. Now, when you read Luke's account of this, he'll say after about eight days, but remember the a God has two 48-hour days, and he can do it because he's God. So, so, but let's look at this, just this, this account here. He said, and Peter, James, and John, his brother, he brought them up into a mountain apart, a mountain of his own, it says in the Greek. And he was transfigured, metamorpho. When the veil is lifted, the glory is seen. Metamorpho, transfigured before them, and his face did shine. Like this is what you look like in the spirit realm. And your face did shine like the sun, and his raiment was white like light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah, right? The law and the prophets. Both appeared to him and talked with him. Then answered Peter and said to Jesus, Lord, he, he felt like he had to say something. Lord, it's great for us to be here. Let us put up three, three booths, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah. But while he yet spoke, the glory cloud came and overshadowed them. And behold, a voice spoke out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter listened to him. 
In other words, Peter stopped talking and listened to Jesus. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were so afraid. And Jesus touched them and said, arise and be not afraid. But here's, here's, the, here's the important thing right here. In verse 8, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. The law and the prophets were gone. This was a new dispensation. And so all they could see was him. And that's all that you're looking at right now. His redemption, his, all, all his teachings, what he did for the Apostle Paul and all that. So, so you can get some history. I'm not saying you can't get some history of the Old Covenant. But the New Covenant, the letters belong to you and I. Ephesians, you know, who, who I am in Christ and then Colossians, who Christ is in me. Like if you just get yourself wrapped up in those two books, like you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, you get to chapter four and he says, walk worthy of the Lord. You can't do it until you study the first three chapters. If you'll study the first three chapters, change your identity, walking worthy of the Lord is as easy as pie. But, but lots of times, walk worthy of the Lord. Give it up, religious person. You know. Sounds like I need to walk in love. And see, that's why he said in 1 John 4, 18, love casts out fear. He didn't say love casts out hate. Hate is just the fruit of fear. Uh, racism is just the fruit of fear. All those things come out of people being afraid. And he said, I haven't given you, come on, Timothy 1, 7, I haven't given you the spirit of fear, timidity, but power and love and the sound mind. Like when you think about fear, you know what the number one fear in the world is? Public speaking. Way down near the bottom is fear of death. Some people would rather die than get up and do what I'm doing right now. But why? But ask yourself why? Because of fear of rejection. What if they don't like me? See, and so when you say, what if they don't like me? You need a change in identity. You need to know who you are in Christ. And so it's not about how they feel about you. It's how you feel about them. Right? And so it changes everything. Now the, now, now the focus is not on me. The focus is on you. And can I give you something? I mean, I've preached in places. I remember one place I preached. And uh, I preached all morning, and I was behind plexiglass. I mean, it wasn't real plexiglass, but I could tell. The words were falling at my feet. No, not one person was listening to what I had to say. That night I preached the same message in another church. I'm, boom, the power of God moved. Because, because the onus is on the people to receive, right? Amen. And so when you know that, you can just deliver what God tells you to do and relax in public. Are people going to judge you and criticize you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you don't care. See, you don't care because you know who you are. I represent God. I do the best that I can, and, and, and that's all there is to it, right? Okay. So, but we were on the way to chapter 18, Matthew, weren't we? Verse 21 of Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and said, How, how often must my, will my brother sin against me, and I will forgive him? Seven times? But here's what I find about forgiveness. We like to get it like money. We like to get it but we're not so quick to give it, right? But yet he, he, told, he told us in Colossians chapter 3, forgive, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, even as Christ forgave 
you also forgive. So when he forgave you on your worst day, you forgive anybody what they've done. Why? Because it keeps you free too. I'm not going to do what they did to me. No, doesn't even matter. Just be happy. Amen. Choose life. Jesus said unto him, I'm telling you, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, when he said that, you wouldn't understand what he meant, but the Hebrew people would know what he meant because they were in, they, they were 490 years and then they went into captivity twice. And so what he's saying is you need to forgive them the same way that I forgave this nation, right? And so it's more than what he said. So Jesus said 70 times 7, verse 23, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king that had an account of servants. And when he had begun to reckon with them, it was brought unto him a man that owed him $10 million. Well, that's my sin. I can't pay for it. It really represents something. He paid a debt he didn't know, and I owed a debt I couldn't pay, right? You all know that story. So he said... He couldn't pay, and the Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and the payment would be made. Then the servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him. But you can never go wrong worshipping God, especially if you've had a lifetime of sin. <laughs> oh, Lord, I worship you. Saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay you back everything. The Lord had compassion on him and forgave him the debt. Just wiped it right out. Just wiped it right out. No, you don't owe me anything now. Because why? Because you came and worshipped me. You got your focus off yourself. Then the Lord of the servant was un, was moved with compassion, forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him ten thousand dollars. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat. <laughs> Hate me, or I'll kill you. <laughs> and his, the fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay it back. He wouldn't do it. Instead, he cast him into prison till he paid the whole debt. So when his fellow servants saw what he was, was done, they were sorry and came and told the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, Oh, you wicked servant, I forgave you of all that debt, because you desired me to. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant, had pity on him? See, but what he's really saying there is if you don't release forgiveness, you can't walk in forgiveness. You have to, you have to let it all go. You just have to let it all go. Why? Because, and, and this is what I have found. Forgiving others is a big benefit to me because I don't have to go around holding grudges. You know, in Hebrews uh, chapter 13, he says, don't allow a root of bitterness to get into you because it'll grow up and it'll produce fruit that you don't like in your life. Don't get bitter with anybody. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. I know what he did for you. Yeah. And what he did for you is greater than what anybody can do in you. Now let's go to Romans 8. Hallelujah. Okay. We're there now. Is it going to do 14, 15, 16, again, 17 again? Yes, we had to do that again too. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, verse 14, they are the sons of God. They're together in close friendship and fellowship. In other words, they're walking together. It's not, I'm looking for my Bible on Sunday. I've been in communion with them all week long. You know, it doesn't mean I've been sitting around reading my Bible, but I don't know about you. I talk to them like I would talk to my wife or like talk to, to, talk to a friend. I, I don't get all formal and thou knowest, Godest, all this thingest. Just don't do that. I say, hey, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with that? And and uh, and when he talks to me, I hear my own voice. You know, I'm not hearing some audible voice from heaven. No, he, he talks to me and communicates with me using my voice. But I know that it's him because it's always smarter than anything I could have thought of by myself. Right? So he, he said, for you have not received the spirit of bondage. What? Do, why? Because he doesn't want you in fear. He wants you in faith. He wants you to walk by faith and not by sight. That's like this, you know, pandemic and, and the rules that they're making and everything. Just stay in faith. Whatever you do, stay in faith. Don't be motivated by fear for anything. Whether you take the vaccine or you don't take the vaccine, do it by faith. Right? And then don't judge anybody else for what they did or didn't do. I'm more spiritual than you. Well, you might be. <laughs> but I think with an attitude like that, it's probably not true. <laughs> yeah. He said, I bondage again to fear, but we spirit received the, the toga virilis, the sp spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He's your father. He loves you. He's your father. He wasn't a goofy father. He's everything your father should have been. The Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs, and again, we know what that means. You have a part and he has a part with Christ. If so, that you suffer with him, will also be glorified together with him. Whoa. Why? Because the glory of the, 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 the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I think I have that on my phone somewhere in another translation. Hmm. Hallelujah. Let's see. No, that's not it, but that's good. <laughs> Okay, here it is. I am convinced that any suffering that we endure is less than nothing. Well, I disagree. <laughs> no, he said it, so I have to. So I have to line up with this, right? It is less than nothing. But but see, I haven't seen the other side of that promise. Less than nothing compared to the magnitude of the glory that is about to be revealed, unveiled within us. Just like Jesus was transfigured in Matthew 17, he said, he said, arise and shine. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen up on you. And, and it's, he said it will be seen. There's something, going, there's some, a metamorphosis going on in you that people are going to see. He said, the magnitude of the glory that's about to be unveiled within us. Look at this. The next verse. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe 
yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, with eager expectation, all of creation longs for the freedom from the slavery and decay and the experience, the wonderful freedom that's coming to God's children. I'm going to read that again to you. Don't get mad at me. I'm going to read it again. Because I know that this is true. Like, you know, when you read Isaiah 65, the lion and the lamb are going to lay down together and eat straw again together. They were never meant to bite and devour one another. I, I know that there's a balance in it, but it was never God's intention for animals to eat other animals. Right? It wasn't his plan. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they, can you imagine that day? All of a sudden, Cain's killing Abel and animals are eating one another. Like, can you imagine the nightmare that they woke up to when they decided to go their own way? And so, but, but really what, what he's saying here in these verses is all of creation is waiting. The, the earth is groaning. The, the earthquakes are happening more and more frequently. And all of these things are happening because the earth is trying to shake off the sin. It's like, and so, but, but let's read it again. I am convinced, I'm going to start from, the, from verse 18 again. I am convinced that any suffering that we endure is less than nothing. Wow. Compared to the magnitude. No, but this is exciting news. Because you look at the world and see, well, the world's getting worse. Yeah, but the church is getting better. The church, God has a plan for the church. We haven't seen it yet. And so we're looking at this natural stuff and thinking, wow, gas prices are soaring. This is going wrong. That's going wrong. Yeah, but wait till God steps on the stage. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all of a sudden, people that wouldn't repent are going to be repenting. <laughs> I am convinced that the suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of the glory to be unveiled within us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of Adam's sin, human sin. But now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for the freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience the wonderful freedom that's coming to God's children. Hallelujah. 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 The word in the word in uh, the in the Greek is apokrino, and it means intense anticipation. And, and this is something else it means: concentration on one single object. It means that all of creation is looking on one thing, one thing only. We may be scattered all over the place, but their their collective mind. And angels are desiring to see this. They're all waiting for this one thing. And so if they're waiting for this one thing, I think that we should probably focus on this one thing too, instead of all of the distractions that are going on out there. Amen to that? Amen. Amen. So verse 21, because the creature himself. Now read Isaiah 65 sometimes and see what the animals will be doing. A kid will be able to go and play with a snake. Right? Like, like th there'll be no violence 
in any, any of creation. Because the creature himself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the, look at the glorious liberty that's coming to the children of God. The glorious liberty is going to have an effect on all of creation. For we know that all of creation groans, there, there it is, in travail, in pain, together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for we are saved by hope, and hope that is seen is not hope. What you see, you don't need to hope for. But we hope for what we don't see, and because we're hoping for it, we well, look at this, we have patience to wait for it. No, 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 but hope is seeing on the inside. Hope is to do with your imagination. Hope is to do with eager anticipation of something good happening. See, and that's why God gave you an imagination, so that you can imagine that you could imagine the glory being manifested in your life. No, but, but he, you need to, whatever, whatever's going on in your imagination, you need to know that God gave it so that you could create. Yeah. You know, he gave you that imagine so you could create. I was watching Elijah uh, playing hockey yesterday, and the first thing you do is you buy him the gear. And as soon as they put the gear on, they imagine what they've seen on TV, some hockey star that they admire. And so they're out there and they can't even hardly skate yet, but their imagination, you no, know, you have to have, you have to have. So it doesn't even matter if you can't skate yet. If you can imagine yourself playing in the NHL and you start thinking like that when you're a kid, you know, again, you may change your mind and go on to other things, but, you, but again, your imagination was given to you so that you could create that atmosphere in your mind. Even even when you go to the point where a peewee scores a goal, but in his mind, it's I just won the Stanley Cup, you know, because that's the way. Because God made you that way. Romans fifteen. Let's go over there because he talks about imagination over there. I remember preaching on this up in New Glasgow at Bruce Morrison's church. Who knows how many years ago was that? Yeah, I've been around a while. <laughs> Romans 15 and verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all, fill you. Now what's hope supposed to do? What's hope supposed to do? Yeah. With what? Joy. Oh. And what? Peace. Why? Because I'm a believer. Peace. That I may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Wow. So hope is powerful. And hope is, and again, it's L piece. It's eager anticipation, but it's not something that I can see. Faith gives substance to the things hoped for, and the evidence of things not yet seen. So again, it's all about creating a positive imagination. And that's why he gave you this book. Mm -hmm. That's why he said in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be informed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the word of God, so that you can prove the good, the acceptable, right. the perfect will of God for your life. Right. He's saying, in other words, you stay in this until you grow up. And then you also need to know that you know, you, you stay faith. Faith 
is in a state of flux. And faith will keep you going just as long as your hair will be combed. <laughs> what do you mean by that? No, no. I mean, you have to comb your hair every day. Right, Nancy? <laughs> you didn't comb your hair. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I understand that there's things that you have to do every day. Like you have to do James chapter one, look into the mirror, look into the liberty of God, look into the mirror and, and not walk away and forget what you look like. I look in the mirror of the word of God and it says I'm more than a conqueror. It says that I'm an heir of God in a joint heir with Jesus. And I can't go out during the day and forget that. Yeah. Forget what I look like. Because what I look like, he said, he said the, the mirror is the word of God. Amen. He said the mirror that you look in is the word of God. You look in this and see who you really are. Amen. If you look in the other mirror, you see who you really might not want to be. Right? <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> so now the God of hope fill you with all peace. Now this word peace is the word Irene, and it means no negative feelings. So if you're having ne negative feelings, you need to get your hope fired up again. No negative feelings. No ants. Automatic negative thoughts. No ants. Joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Another translation says it this way. May God, the fountain, the giver, the source of hope, fill you with perfect happiness. Fill you with perfect happiness through your trust in him. That your whole life and outlook may be radiant with hope. Another translation says it this way. May God, the source of hope, fill you with joy and unite you through your trust in him. And may your hope overflow with the power of the Holy Ghost. Wow. Sounds like something good is happening in your life right now. Something good is happening in your life right now. Amen. Amen. How about Philippians chapter 2? Can we go there? Hallelujah, Philippians. I've been trying to live in Philippians chapter 3. Now we're talking about chapter 2. <laughs> it's good to live there too. But chapter 3, think about it. Being anxious for nothing. Yeah. Not being worried about anything. Yeah. But in everything with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. I make my requests be made known unto the Lord. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding rules my heart and rules my mind. Hallelujah. And whatsoever things are true, pure, just, virtuous, praiseworthy, anything that's of a good report, I think on these things and I learn how to be content whether I abase or whether I abound because I can do all things. I can do all things through the anointed one his anointing gives me strength. Whew. What a chapter. But this chapter 2 is good as well. Okay. Chapter 2 and verse 5. This is God telling you, let this mind be in you. He said, you let this mind be in you. 
which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God. What a thing to say. If you want to get religious people upset, you tell them you're equal with God. <laughs> but now my son Joe sitting over there, he's because he's my son, he's not subservient to me. He's equal to me. Well, he's like he is equal to me. He doesn't have to, you know. Well, I can think of some things, but no. <laughs> no, he's my son, and he's the same as me. There's equal value. As a matter of fact, you know, I leave an inheritance to my children's children, so I'm a conqueror. He's more than a conqueror, right? But but he doesn't think it robbery to be equal with me. And yet here's God saying, Jesus, let this mind be in you that Jesus had, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You can't say that very many places. Matter of fact, it's risky saying it here. I'm equal with God. What are you saying? I'm saying... That I'm saying, okay, Psalm 82 and verse 6. Might as well stir it up a little bit. Yep. No, but, but again, it doesn't make you proud. There's a humility in it. It's, it's like, wow, you made me to be this. 82 is so powerful. Verse 2, he said, how long are you going to judge? How long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? How long before you stand? And now he's saying, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the, the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked ones. They don't even know, neither do they understand. And again, we're not, we're not trying to get people saved, evangelizing people to get them to heaven. That's not our goal. Our goal is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're trying to get heaven into them, right? Like God's trying to get heaven into you. He's not trying to get you to heaven. It's not, that's, what, that's not what evangelism is really about, even though we've made it that. He said, deliver the poor, the needy, and the out of the hand of the wicked. Look at this. They don't even know, neither do they understand. They walk on in the darkness, and all the fountains of, of the earth are out of course. What, again, people, people sin because they have a sin nature. They, they don't know how to do the right things. Maybe some of them have a moral compass. I'm not saying that that's not so. But morality is not spirituality either. So he, but look at verse 6. This is God talking now. I have said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you will die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, God, and judge the earth, for, for uh, you shall inherit all the nations. Now, I think over in John's Gospel, chapter 10, I'm in Romans, <laughs> the place I was trying to be earlier. I mean, you know why they crucified Jesus, right? Because he called himself the Son of God, right? <laughs> okay, verse uh, 30 of John 10. I and my Father are one. 
Well, John 17, 20 says, that so am I. He said, then the Jews took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered and said, many good works I've shown you from my father. For which of these works are you going to stone me? Jesus, the Jews answered and said, it's not for, for a good work. It's for blasphemy because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered him and said, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. If he called him God's time to who the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say of him whom the father has sanctified and you're one that the father has sanctified, set apart for him and sent into the world. You've been sent into the world. You blaspheme because I said, I am the son of God. It's interesting. Back back in the day, Abram, Abram was living in Ur of the Chaldees with his dad, Terah. And Terah was a, an idol maker. And he had all these idols in his idol shop. And one day while he was traveling, Abram went in and smashed all of the idols but one. Smashed them all. They were all laid out over the floor anywhere, everywhere. And Terah came home and said, who has done this? And Abram pointed to the, the, the only God that was left and said, he did. And of course, the answer is, that's impossible. Exactly. All this stuff you've got nailed up here that you're worshiping has no power whatsoever. I'm going to find the real God. And so that's how he went on his journey. Yeah. So, but we know the real God. We know the true God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, these three things abide. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You beloved, love one another. Just love one another. Just love one another. There's such freedom in love. There's no fear in love because mature love casts out fear. So if you find yourself in fear, get a whole lot more love going. Get in the floor with loving in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.